in, in this series, Songs We're Singing, going through the book of Psalms, 150 chapters in the book of Psalms that are divided into five sections or books. Book five covers chapters 107 through 150. And these five books mirror the first five books of the Old Testament, otherwise known as the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And so this book five that we're entering into, chapters 107 to 150, mirror the themes of the book of Deuteronomy, um, primarily talking about God's power and God's blessing and the importance of God's word. The longest chapter in the Bible is in this section of Psalms. How many of you know what chapter is the longest chapter in the Bible? Psalm 119. Good. Uh, and then if you're a real Christian, you know how many verses are in Psalm 119? A bunch. That's right. It's a bunch. The Greek word for a bunch is 176. And so there's 176 verses in, in chapter 119, and 174 of those verses refer to the beauty and the greatness of Scripture. So the longest chapter in the Bible is all about the Bible. And it praises the wonderful works and the wonderful words of God. Here's what I know. There is much in our culture that is very disturbing right now, isn't there? And there's much in our culture that is inconsistent with Scripture, isn't there? Inconsistency with Scripture and disruption go hand in hand. What I know, that there is much divisiveness and discord in our culture. And part of the problem is that Christians have embraced the worst parts, aspects of our culture, rather than the best aspects of Scripture. My friend Dennis sent me an article this week, and it was talking about uh, what the church has been going through, what Christians have been going through in the past months and years. And it talked about, it, 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 it set everything up with this word called catechism. How many of you know what catechism, have you ever heard the word catechism? Yes. In the context of what? Catholic. Catholic church, yeah. I mean, Catholic church, it's a highly Catholic word, if I can use that phrase. Catechism is, is not a bad thing at all. Now, Brad, here's what catechism means. Catechism means a series of fixed questions, answers, or precepts used for instruction. That's all catechism means. It's a series of fixed questions, answers, and precepts used for instruction in a certain way of thinking and way of living. Now, the term is mostly used in the context of the Catholic Church, and it's highly religious in its use. However, this article that I was reading put it in terms like this, and I want you to pay attention. It says that culture catechizes. Culture is, is designed and set up to ask a series of questions and to give answers and precepts. 
for the purpose of instructing its citizens. And what happens is culture teaches us what matters and teaches us what views we should have about what matters. Culture catechizes. Do you understand? And culture has multiple technologies to catechize. Culture has multiple platforms for catechizing. TV, radio, podcasts, social media, Facebook, Instagram, etc., etc., etc. And all of these streams, their focus is to propose questions, answers, and precepts to educate its citizens on what matters and how its citizens are supposed to think about what matters. And most people, not us in here, but other people, subject ourselves to catechism and culture's catechisms all day Every day, hour after hour after hour after hour, to a much greater degree than to the scriptures. Very few churchgoers, again, not any of you, but very few, attend consistently Bible studies and small groups and are engaged in a regular, daily, deep study of Scripture. So just think. If people get one kind of catechism one hour a week, and another type of catechism dozens of hours each week or each day, which catechism will win? Now, this is going to be difficult, so I want you to hang with me. Don't leave till the end. I have heard and we have heard of many people leaving their church because their church didn't match with their politics. I've yet to hear of one changing their politics because their politics didn't match with the teaching of their churches, of, of the, the church's teaching of Scripture. Many people, especially in this era, will leave a church if their political views are ever challenged, even slightly. And many spend so much more time reading, listening to, and engrossed in political issues than they spend time in deep, consistent study of God's Word. What has happened when we become more committed to an agenda or a politic than to God's Word? When we'd rather leave a church because of politics than change our politics because of God's Word? And as I t take a step back and look at the, at the church landscape of America, 
on both sides of the aisle. And it's so interesting. Oftentimes it is divided not just by theological background, but by race and socioeconomics. Each of those sides are completely engrossed in their agenda and have changed scripture to match their agenda and read scripture through the lens of their agenda each side. And the American church has lost its ability to say, thus saith the Lord, and if I have to change my agenda, so be it. And so rather than scripture catechizing our lives, we've allowed our agendas to be catechized by culture. What God has the most to say about is his word. According to the breadth of. Because his word is meant to catechize our souls. Yes. So when you hear us say, read your Bible. I want to share with you the initial purpose of regular reading and study of your Bible. Here's, here, here's, here's the, the initial purpose of regular Bible reading and study is to build a habit, not to build a theologian. Is build a habit. See, if reading our Bible and studying our Bible is not a regular habit of our life, don't try to become a theologian in it. First, just develop a habit, because what's a habit? Y'all know what a habit is. We've got plenty of habits, Right? You know what your habits are. You probably haven't told many people, but if you, you look closely enough, we can see them. We all have habits. Habits are those things that drive our time, that determine our schedules, that, that drive our plans and our agendas for the day. And so theology, that transformative life, will come out of the habit of reading the, the Word. The Bible has a lot to say about the Bible. And the Bible ought to challenge and transform every area of our lives. But first, the Bible must be continually ingested and digested. Not in light of anything else. The Bible is not to be ingested and digested in light of any other catechism, any other agenda, just in light of itself. I had a seminary professor... And here's, let me tell you one of the many problems with pastors and seminary professors. One of our many problems, our problems are replete. But one of our many problems is we think we're more clever than what we are, and we think we're funnier than what we are. And so this seminary professor trying to, now that's true for other pastors, not me so much, because I'm pretty funny. But that wasn't funny. You're laughing at the wrong things. But this one professor always said this, who has a word? Shall, you remember this, don't you? Yeah, you could, can you finish it for me? Who has a word? Yeah, see, she was in seminary with it. Who has a word about the word from the word? It's like, why don't you ask if anybody has something interesting from the Bible they read? But he had to put it, who has a word about the word from the I was like, okay, give me a break. But what he was saying is, the Bible has a lot to say about the Bible. And none the least of which is Psalm 119. 
And the Bible's very clear. Love for God is love for God's word. And conversely, love for God's word is love for God. And we cannot say that I love God, but I'm not always in his word because my behavior betrays my statement. Scripture is not a thing that we add on to the Christian life, our faith, nor our love for God. It is integral to our faith and our love for God. So Psalm 119, 176 verses. Now, I was out last week, and so I'm feeling the need to preach a little bit. John did a good job last week. But this chapter is 176 verses, so I'm going to take every one of them. Piece by, no, just kidding. Just kidding. I'm not going to do that to you. Sean, you'd stay for me for that, wouldn't you? I, I love you. You're saved. That's why. But just like I'm going to cherry pick some verses out of Psalm 119. So you ready? Okay. You said you're ready. We're going to let the word of God catechize us. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Here's what the Bible says. When Psalms, when it says a young man, what it means is a disciple. And so this scripture is saying about itself, how can a disciple keep his way pure? In other words, how can a disciple become like his teacher that's what it's saying so if we claim the name of christ if we claim to be a christian the bible says that the only way someone who claims the name of christ becomes like his teacher jesus the christ is by guarding his way according to the word and letting it catechize us the bible is not primarily for inspiration uh, for uh uh, um, what am i talking about the bible is not primarily for information the bible is for transformation you understand that good because i can't hardly say it Uh, so the bible is used to make disciples become like their teacher not so we have information to support our agenda By living according to the Bible, that means by applying what we've read and reading it for transformation, we keep our lives in line with the precepts of Scripture and actually become like our teacher. So if we're not in this all the time, we don't become like our teacher. And all the other catechisms of Scripture take precedent. Just consider what are the other catechisms that are instructing you and how you think and how you live? Those catechisms will decide who we become. I was sitting in my office this week, actually on Thursday, thinking, God, help me like, put this in a way that I understand. I mean, i got to get this first. Because I know if I get it, they'll be able to get it. 
Like for me, I got to dumb stuff down so I understand it. And you're a lot smarter than I am. So if I dumb it down for me, it'll make sense to you because you're smarter than me. And so this is what God gave me. And I think it'll make sense. The agenda of the catechism determines the outcome of the disciple. Does that make sense? Like the agenda of the catechism, the purpose of what's behind the catechism determines the outcome of its disciple. And the disciple will become like the one who is catechizing. Here's how I say it again. The catechism's agenda determines the disciple's formation. How can we keep our life pure and become like our teacher? According to your word and no other catechism. Do I want me to keep going? Psalm 119, there's a lot in there. Cam, you want me to keep going? Is that right? All right, Cam. Cam said I could. And he's a big old linebacker, so I got to do what he says. <laughs> Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold the wondrous things out of your law. The writer of Psalms says, God, I want you to keep me alive for one purpose. God, I want you to wake me up tomorrow for one reason. Not so that I can get back to my job. Not so that I can make more money. Not just so that I can be with those I love, though I want to be with those I love. But not for any other. Keep me alive for one more day that I may do one thing and that's obey your word. That's why I want you to wake me up tomorrow. And the reason is, deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and obey your word. Open my eyes so I may behold the wonder, the reason why the psalmist says, wake me up in the morning so that I may obey your word is because in God's word is some wonderful stuff. The wondrous things. God, wake me up in the morning so once again you can catechize my heart with your word. Wake me up in the morning because there's some wonderful things that I got to put here. And there's some wonderful things that I got to put here because everything else is trying to get here to change here. You got to come here and you got to come here and catechize my life in the morning. Yes, yes, yes. Mm. Now, when the Bible says the wonderful things of your law, what it literally means is the marvelous, the extraordinary the things that are beyond my, the supernatural. There's supernatural stuff in here. And God, I want you to wake me up in the morning to catechize my life with your supernatural word. Do you understand? understand. Now, we don't get what is in here without God revealing it, downloading it to us. The psalmist says here, open my eyes, God, so that I can behold this stuff. In other words, if you don't open my eyes, I'm not going to behold it. The stuff in here, the supernatural stuff in here, is not 
available to just anybody who opens this. Because the Bible says that these things are spiritually discerned. And that's why so many people, without a relationship with God or without an intimate, continued fellowship with God, open this and have no idea. Because God has to open the eyes of his people. And he promises to do so. The wondrous things in her are revealed by the Spirit of God to the people of God. And that's why you can just open this thing up. Where's a, where's a Bible verse here? Um, in the latter part of their reign, when rebels have become completely wicked, a stern-faced king, a master of in, in, intrigue will arise. He will become very strong, but not by his own power. He will cause astounding uh, devastation and will succeed in whatever he does. He will destroy the mighty men of the holy people. He will cause the seat to prosper and, will, uh, and he will consider himself superior. When they feel secure, he will, uh, he will destroy many and take his stand against the prince of princes. Yet um, he will be destroyed, but not yet by human power. This vision of the evenings and the mornings that have been given to you uh, is true, but seal up the vision for it concerns the distant future. What the heck is that talking about? Right? It's like, what? Huh? Like you could just... Unless the Holy Spirit says, let me download stuff to you. Let me help you understand this. You got a, a going... And unless it's spiritually discerned, you don't understand that what this is talking about is setting up the revelation of the Antichrist. That there will come one who sets himself up in complete opposition to the kingdom of God. And he will come on the earth during this time of tribulation. And he will wreak great havoc on the church and the unchurched. And God will have to move in to remove him from his power. And he will be disposed, not by human effort, but by God. Because why? Because God is the master and the sovereign and the supreme of all things for all time. That even when it feels like hell is breaking loose on the earth, it is at God's hand and God's control. So don't be worried. That's what that verse tells me. It might sound like nonsense to you. And, and so what the, what the psalmist is saying, God, open up my eyes. You've got to reveal this stuff to me because it's so wonderful. I can't get it on my own. Yes. And so we approach this with great reverence. And we ask the Holy Spirit to open our eyes. To give us understanding to the incredible, marvelous, supernatural things in his word. Do you understand? This is why it's so important for us to read the Bible. Now watch this. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Here's what the psalmist is saying. When he says incline my heart, pay attention to that. This way, to incline my heart, he literally means bend my heart. Bend my emotions. Bend my desires. The psalmist is saying, God, change what I think is important. Change what I desire. Change my emotions. Could I get so freaking revved up about so many things? God, you've got to bend my heart and my desires. According. I just wonder, for how many of us is it our prayer? God, rather than proving my point, change my desire. especially in these charged times of fear and uncertainty and doubt. 
This verse implies that most of our desire is for our gain, rather than for God's word to transform who we are. Please note, if we are reading the Bible and our heart and our desires and our emotions are not changing, we, me, are in grave danger of becoming a religious zealot and not a disciple. You may be right. And you may be able to use the Bible to prove you're right. But the right use of the Bible is to turn religious people into disciples. And here's what I've seen as I've looked at the context of American churchianity. That churches across our nation, in the context of the last year and a half, have moved and changed from a biblical interpretation of the revelation of God for the transformation of the earth because of the kingdom to teaching scripture in a way that agrees with an agenda. And I am ashamed to say that us as churches in America this past year and a half should have been the most profound and the most powerful transformative time in the history of our country since its inception under the hand of God. And rather than that, it has become the most divisive and detrimental. For people, relationships, and kingdom. Oh God, that you would bend our heart. Away from any agenda other than the transformation of our heart. It's interesting, the Bible says here, note, it says, turn my eyes I'm looking at worthless things. It's one of the greatest social media verses in all the Bible. Turn my heart from looking at worthless things. I don't have social media accounts, but I have access to the church's social media accounts. And I got to tell you, in the past couple weeks, I've been so tempted to jump on the church's social media accounts to look up some of you people. Not to, not to know what you're doing, but to know what you're saying about me, about this church. And I've had, this morning before I, before I, when I was preparing for this message, I'm in my office and, and I thought, you know, I'm just going to jump on real quick and look some stuff up just to, and I had to stop and pray, God, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things. Because most of what I will see, now not you, because again, you're, you got this stuff dialed in and you're good. But most of what I will see on social media, I think would be considered worthless things because it will catechize my heart away from this. See, the way God transforms the life is by turning our eyes away. And when the Bible says worthless, it means emptiness and distracting and false. Not just in lies, but stuff that's just contrary to what this is. Just distracting. 
And so the question that I have to ask myself, that you've got to ask yourself if, you, if, if you're wise, is how much do I give my eyes attention other than to God's word? And how much of that would be considered worthless and idle and empty and just distracting? If I give more time and attention to that than to God's word, I will be catechized according to that. I entreat your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. Verse 38 in that last portion I read ended like this. Confirm your promise to me that you will be feared, God. And I entreat your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. What, what the psalmist is saying is that God's word contains God's promise. And he says, God, I want you to confirm your promise to me. And I want you to be gracious to me. And I want you to pour your favor out on me because this is catechizing my life. And as this catechizes my life, I want you to give me your favor according to your promises here. Because when people see your favor according to your promises in here, they turn around and fear you. That's amazing. That respect God. Sean, I'm so glad you're here. Because you have let God's word catechize your life. And you could have turned to many other emotions and many other solutions than what you've chosen to walk through. And you've chosen to walk through it, Sean. Because God's word has been hidden in your heart. And I watch what God does in your life. And I stand in awe and honor and fear of him. So thank you for being a disciple. Without agenda. Your testimonies are my heritage forever. Your testimony, God, is what I will inherit and pass on to my children as their inheritance. Your testimonies. For they're a joy to my heart. You're my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word, the Bible says, God's word is not laborious and God's word is not burdensome. When you understand it and the Holy Spirit has revealed it, it is a joy, not a burden. Joy, joy. And our hope is not in strategy. And our hope is not in strength. And our hope is not, our hope is in the word of God. Yes, 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 yes. Thank God, yes. Our family had the chance to go to South Dakota and watch Caleb play football. In the second series, he suffered a pretty bad injury. And the doctors that night met with, uh, met with each other. They met Saturday morning. They met Sunday morning. So what they're going to do with him. And it came out, his season was done, surgery is done. He was having a great year too. I mean, things turned around, it was fantastic. He was heading for some great stuff. And I go to films that night, and the football coach said, hey, how did Caleb do? Some of them knew, and BJ knew what was going on, others knew what was going on. Some of them were like, hey, how did Caleb do? And they kind of told him what happened. He's got to have surgery probably and all this stuff. And a couple of them were like, ah, oh, man, why does that happen? God, was so good. Why that? And I told Coach Nolte and told some others, hey, you know what, it's, it's okay, because I woke up this morning and I checked, and, and Romans 8, 28 is still in the Bible. God works all things together for the good of those who love him and call according to his purpose, and I know my son loves God. Yes. 
Bite's going to go through a surgery on Friday. He and I were talking about it just on Friday after meeting with the doctor. It's like, I don't understand this. I remember why. Remember what we said? Romans 8 28, still in the Bible. All things together somehow. Because I know you love the Lord. So your disciples have a hope in the word. So let me just wrap up with this. I told you guys to stick with me to the end. You go back a few chapters, 10 chapters of Psalm 109.4. In return for my love, they accuse me. But I give myself to prayer. I don't know if any of you in here have experienced this. Probably not. But have you ever given yourself to people and then they turn on you? I don't think any of us have experienced that, have we? You know what it's like when friends become acquaintances and when family becomes enemy? You know why we have to be in God's word? Because when I'm in God's word, it keeps me from treating other people in kind. I've given myself. And I may have been wrong, I may have been right, doesn't matter. I've given myself and you've turned on me. And when I'm not in here, and this has not catechized my heart and my head, my response is in kind. So that even in those times when I've given myself in love, and they've come against you, this makes you turn to prayer rather than respond in kind. So I encourage you to read the Bible. Another professor who said this, never read a book about the Bible more than you read the Bible. I was talking to a bunch of seminary students and all we did was read books about the Bible. So what that made us do was read the Bible a lot more. And, and let me just say this, and I don't mean this as offense to anybody. And there's a lot of good stuff in reading devotionals, but please hear, hear my heart in this. Reading devotionals about God are not nearly the same as reading the Bible, the book God wrote. There's some good devotionals out there, but it must never replace the actual words. So I want to suggest to you this. From tomorrow till the end of the year, guess how many days there are? Hundred and eight. What months do you think we're in? What's, like June? Hey, this isn't hard. An accountant figured it out, right? You deal with taxes. You get numbers. November. Tomorrow's November one. November, December. How many days the rest of the year? 61, absolutely. All right? Guess how many chapters are in the Gospels of Mark, Luke, and John? I'm going to give you one guess. You better not get wrong. 61. 108. 
So here's my challenge. Read a chapter a day, every day, tomorrow till the end of the year, and go through the three Gospels, Mark, Luke, and John. This whole season we're going into is all about Jesus. Study him. And if you don't know what to read, I'm going to suggest you pay attention to this part. I'm going to suggest you just to flip through the Bible. Here's what I mean. These are four of my journals, my flip journals. So it's something I practice. Nobody has read what's in here. Because this is from God to me. F stands for focus. When you're reading the Bible, you focus on one thing that sticks out to you. One thing. There'll probably be a lot, hopefully there'll be a lot of things to stick with one thing. L stands for learn. Do a little deeper dive. Look in your notes in your Bible. You got a good Bible, you got some good notes. If you don't have any good notes in the Bible, let me know. I'll get you a good Bible. Do a little deeper dive. Find out some stuff that you didn't already know. Internalize means to ask the Holy Spirit to apply it to your life. So I'm going to read, it's going to stick out, I'm going to focus on it. I'm going to learn something about it that I didn't already know, and then I'm going to internalize it. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to make it personal. And then I'm going to pray. I'm going to turn what I've internalized into a prayer. It's the flip. It's where you flip through the Bible so it becomes real and transformative and it categorizes your heart. And so if I were reading Mark 1 starting tomorrow, and I already did this just to give you an example, this is what it would look like. These are my, this is, this is, this is, this is how it is. I write it down. I write the date and the passage and the focus. And I would write verse 35 of Mark 1 if I start, we're starting this tomorrow. And verse 35 says, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went to, out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. That would be my focus. That's what grabbed me when I read Mark 1. And the L part, the learn, is this is what I learned. As I read through Mark 1, I noticed this, and I looked up some notes. Jesus has been doing many miracles. He's been leading. He's teaching with authority. There's, that's a key word there, and is different than anyone else. And Jesus often went alone early in the morning and prayed. And I'm, what I thought was this. I'm sure there's a connection between Jesus' power and his prayer life. This is just what I write down in my, in my, in my journal. I focus on that, on that verse and I write it out, word for word. And then I write out the learn part. In Mark 1.35, I would do this. I would internalize it and start thinking, ask the Holy Spirit, what's it mean for me? And this is what I came up with for me. I want to live and to teach with authority. And I want the power of God present in my life. And I know that the power of Jesus comes from the prayer life of Jesus. And I must seek Father regularly in prayer. Before I ask for the Father's power. That's what God internalized it for me. And then my prayer out of that is, Father, give me the increased desire to pray. Wake me early in the morning so I can get up to pray. See, my prayer is no longer help me sleep well and sleep long. My prayer, according to the Bible, is wake me up early in the morning so I can pray. As I seek you in prayer, release your authority and power in my life and in my teaching. Do you understand? So when I encourage you to pray, to read the Bible, this is what I'm talking about. 
use this. Take advantage of this to let the word of God every day catechize your heart and catechize your head and turn you into a disciple more like the Father today than you were yesterday. I told you I'd give you a prayer based on the scripts that we've looked at every day through this series. So this is a prayer based on 119. Father, increase my desire for your word and increase my desire to pray. As I seek you in your word and in prayer, release your authority and power in my life. Release your promises in my life that others will see them and honor you. God, that's my prayer. And so as I wrap this up, I just want to encourage you. Read the Bible. Let it catechize your life. Father, thank you. Father, I thank you that you've loved us with an everlasting love. Thank you that you showed us the full extent and magnitude of your love by asking your son to die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. You saw us in sin and you restored us gently by the life of your son on the cross. Thank you. Father, forgive me for allowing culture to catechize my thoughts and my heart and direct my agenda more than your word has oftentimes. I am sorry. Father, there are people in this place right now who are listening to these words right now who are desiring to come back to you, to come to you. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would open up our eyes to see the wonderful, supernatural things in your word. I ask for your favor upon me and upon us that others would see your promises come to fruition in our lives and honor and fear you in response. Father, I ask that you would give us the desire to pray and give us the desire for your word that you'd wake us up early in the morning and not allow us to sleep in so that we would be propelled to pray. Father, in this moment, hear our praise. You've done so much already. You've promised to do more. And in response to your word, and response to the promises in your word, we shout our praise to you. So here now in this place, hearts turning back to you. May you have priority and you have preeminence and you have the seat at our table as the head. Amen.